verse of the Bible. And uh, I've entitled this A Forgotten Creator. Speaking of uh, creation and evolution, I saw this article this week, um, and it came through Friday Church News Notes with Way of Life, David Cloud, but he was quoting uh, an article that was actually in The Guardian, uh, a UK-based uh, uh, journal or uh, newspaper. Um, and he says, the following is excerpted from the Evolutionists Admit, uh, from Evolution News and Science Today, but in, an article, uh, it says in quotes here, in The Guardian by science journalist Stephen Baranyi, represents something remarkable in the way the public processes the failures of evolutionary theory. In the past, those failures have been admitted by some biologists, but always in settings, technical journalists, conferences, etc., where they thought nobody outside their professional circles was listening. Well, the field of evolutionary biology has just done the equivalent of a massive Facebook dump. In a very long article, it's about a 14-page article, I did end up going and finding it, uh, top names in the field share with Baranyi what intelligent design proponents already knew. But few Guardian readers guess the headline from the left-leaning British Daily asks, Do we need a new theory of evolution? Answer in one word, yes. This article is full of scandalous admissions, strange as it may sound. Scientists still do not know the answers to some of the most basic questions about how life on Earth evolved. Take eyes, for instance. Where do they come from exactly? The usual explanation of how we got these stupendously complex organs rests upon the theory of natural selection. This is the basic story of evolution as recounted in countless textbooks and pop, uh, pop science bestsellers. The problem, according to a growing number of scientists, is that it is absurdly crude and misleading. For one thing, it starts midway through the story, taking for granted the existence of light-sensitive cells, lenses, and irises without explaining where they came from in the first place. Nor does it adequately explain how such delicate and easily disrupted components mesh together to form a single organ. And it isn't just eyes that the traditional theory struggles with. The first eye, the first wing, the first placenta, how they emerge. Explaining these is the foundational motivation of evolutionary biology, says Armin Machek, a biologist at Indiana University, and yet we still do not have a good answer. This classic idea of gradual change, one happy accident at a time, has so far fallen flat. There are certain core evolutionary principles that no scientist seriously questions. Everyone agrees that natural selection plays a role, as does mutation and random chance. But how exactly these processes interact and whether other forces might also be at work has become the subject of bitter dispute. If we cannot, in quotes here, explain things, the tools we have right now, the Yale University biologist Gunther Wagner told me, we must find new ways of explaining. Baranyi, do we still need a new theory of evolution? The Guardian, June 28, 2022, and I, you can find that article online. Underneath all this lurks another deeper question whether the idea of a grand story of biology is a fairy tale we need to finally give up. Absurdly crude and misleading, a classic idea that has so far fallen flat, a fairy tale we need to finally give up. This is how writers for Evolution News have characterized the troubles with Darwinian theory, but I didn't expect to see it in The Guardian. When you think about that, in the, in the latest article where evolutionists are saying, you know what, there's some real problems with our theory. And we know that there are. This morning, as I bring this up about foundations, when we look at our foundations in a first cause, 
why we do what we do, it helps to bring all of life into a perspective as well as the authority of the Bible. Ultimately, your life, my life, is founded upon something. And as we look at why I'm here, it helps me to show uh, of my value, my worth, and my mission in life. Our society, our culture, is a mess because of sin and a loss of the significance and authority of our Creator God. We have lost our true worth before God. Now, as Christians, we can be easily sucked into the traditions and values and beliefs of culture, but we can lose, and therein, lose the perspective of God and who I am. Do you realize that in the creation story that humans were the pinnacle of God's creation? Everything was created first, and then humanity was created. Now, God's desire with every human being is to be in continual fellowship with every person. Do you know that God's interactions with mankind through the centuries is to keep humanity near to himself? He is not about making rules to keep us enslaved. He is about rules that would keep us close to himself. He wants us dependent upon him. Now, there is a lot of differences with Christianity upon what is truth and how to properly separate unto God. The issue of all matters of separation comes back to ultimately our worldview and our authority. There is in Christianity, you know, some that say you can't do this and you must do this and thou shalt and thou shalt not. I don't want man's ideas, I want God's and I want the word of God. I want principles, sometimes it may not explicitly say it, but the principles of scripture are there that would lend to understanding that a particular action or a particular course of, of life is not acceptable to God. But all of these standards ultimately get back to who is God. Because if I'm only doing the standards without knowing the God of the standards, it becomes burdensome. It becomes overbearing. And it becomes enslaving. But when I understand, for instance, if my... If I understand my parents yelling at me, don't go close to the sidewalk. Well, if I go close to the sidewalk, they say, you're in trouble. Well, I was just close. I mean, I was like a foot. You're close to the sidewalk. Why am I in trouble? Because they don't want you to go in the street. Because it's dangerous. So if you know the heartbeat behind the principle, it helps us to understand, okay, God really is loving. So the standards that God gives to us. Now, when we allow culture to dictate our morality or our ethics or our time and our responsibilities, we begin to degrade into a cesspool of discontentment like Israel. Israel would go through all of these religious rules, but they failed to know the God of the rules, and they began to say God is overburdensome and God is not good. What happened? They fainted when trials and tribulations would come upon them. A return to our foundations and the fundamentals of the faith will lead us to be all we should be for the Lord Jesus Christ. And therein reap the richest rewards for eternity. To gain such rewards, it demands an understanding of God's authority as well as my obligation to Him. What is my obligation to God? What is your obligation to Him? And I want to look at this because uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're there in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, uh, about not looking at a woman to lust after her. 
But as we look at that and the verses to follow, I, I wanted to go back, and I just felt like this is what the Lord had for us, to go back and look at who is God and what is my obligation to him. Because if I lose sight of who is God and my obligation to him, then the rules that you might see later on in the scriptures, you begin to say, these are dumb, they don't apply to today. Now, there are some of the Israelites that don't apply to us. But I want to just really get our minds to focus on who am I as God's creation. And what we must do as believers is realize our authority and our responsibility before God and submit our will to Him without reservations. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And Lord, I pray that these truths that are presented this morning would, uh, Lord, that they would make sense. Lord, I pray that they penetrate hearts. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak uh, would be clear. And Lord, communicate the truths that you want to communicate. Father, I can't do it. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask for your help and your goodness and grace to us. Lord, if there's anyone this morning that is not certain of their salvation, I pray that they would settle that. And Lord, for those of us believers, I pray in our hearts and our minds that, Father, we would be found faithful. That, God, we would increase our joy because we know who we are as created in your image. Lord Jesus, I love you. And I am amazed at your word. I thank you for all that you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. The beginning, the first cause for life on earth is God. As the Bible tells us. In the beginning, God. The first cause here, and Harold Fortesque, a budding newspaper reporter, was sent to cover a local social function. It was his first assignment. He expanded himself and submitted to his editor two dozen pages of typewritten oratory. The editor did not even glance at it, but handed it right back with the words, cut it in half. Crestfallen, Fortesque complied. Again, the editor handed it back with a dry comment, cut it in half again. Grumbling under his breath, the youthful reporter did as he was told. When he handed in the finished article, the editor handed it back once more. Now reduce it to a single page. The horrified reporter ventured at a protest. His boss cut him off. Young man, he said, you have evidently overlooked the fact that when the creator of the universe gives his account of creation, he does so in ten words. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now that's obviously in English, but... (laughs) God said and it happened. When you think of this, that God spoke out of nothing everything that is. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, verse 3. So at the sound of his voice, nothingness became something. It became a beautiful masterpiece unsurpassed. God created. And the very thought in the beginning, God created. Your subject and your verb in this in this. Uh, verse. They demand an original design, a purpose for creating. It necessitates the genesis of everything. It points to one who's in control of the process. He is in charge. A Scotch philosopher wanted to teach his five-year-old son about God. He went into his garden alone and with his finger traced out the lad's name. 
He planted cress and mustard seed in the outline. After ten days, the lad, uh, later, the lad came running to his father, crying, My name is coming up in the garden. His father said, Nonsense, it can't be. He went to the garden. His father said, Oh, that must, be just, that must just have happened. No, no, said the boy. Somebody must have planted it. So the lad learned his first lesson about the Creator. As they would write his name there in the dirt and put the seeds in it, it came up as a plant, and therein came his name. If you think about a creator, if I take some Legos in a big old pile and snap them all together in a certain pattern, I can put them into a house, a car, an animal, and millions of other options as long as I have enough bricks. A couple of years ago, we had gone to a zoo, and there at the zoo was all these animals uh, various animals that had been recreations through Legos. It was really quite spe- spectacular. I mean, and it would tell you how many hundreds of thousands of Legos were nest, you know, to create a life-size animal. And it was unbelievable I mean, what they did. But they took a little block, and from these little blocks, they formed an animal. They formed an image of an animal, I guess I should say. Now, the purpose for assembling Legos may very well be recreational. I'm taking something basic and bringing order to the pile of Legos, or at minimum, purpose for this construction. A baker may take some raw ingredients, flour, sugar, eggs, other spices and flavors, to make a cookie, to make a cake, something that we can enjoy. But God took nothing, and on the sixth day, he formed man who never existed and created an immortal soul. To be immortal means that something comes to life that never was and lives forever. He who is without time created time, space, and immortality for all humans. There's an original cause. Without cause, there is chaos. You go into a a marketplace and you have a whole bunch of people that each want their own thing. Uh, You have a government that every person wants their own thing and you have chaos. I found this actually quite interesting in in one of the devotions that I have sent to my email this morning about this. It says, in the first chapter of Genesis, we are told God was to make man in our image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. You can look with me there. I'm just laying some ideas here. I want you thinking on this this, uh, message. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And then it says, you know, God rested on the seventh day. So God is therefore the creator and the maker of all things, including the image of God and man. These two terms, as this author says, are not synonymous, though they sometimes seem to be used interchangeably. Creation is calling into existence entities that previously had no existence. No one except God is ever the subject of the verb create. The word of making, on the other hand, is that of organizing created entities into complex systems. God is called the creator five times in the Bible, whereas he is called the maker 16 times. God created his image in men and women, but he also made them in that image. That is, he called into existence the spiritual components of man's nature, not shared in any degrees with animals. He also organized the basic elements into complex human bodies, the most highly organized systems in the universe, and they were made in that image that God himself would one day 
assume when he would become an incarnate human being, Jesus Christ. So he's both the creator and maker of his image in each person. Now we understand that ultimately mankind uh, marred it through sin. So we have the cause. So we have, you have the beginning, but you also have a cause. When an artist sets out to create a beautiful painting, they take a blank canvas and begin to blob or put in a meticulous fashion uh, the paint on that canvas with the intention of portraying an image. And when they're done, they place their name on that painting, most do, for all to see. This is my masterpiece. Now, we may or may not like what they've done. We may or may not like the painting. But nevertheless, it is still that artist's work. Mixing colors and patterns to form something of recognizable beauty. There's a quality of workmanship to it. A painting, a building, a poem, a wood sculpture, a computer, a wedding cake, they all speak of a maker, an inventor, someone that had the mental wherewithal to bring out something that did not exist prior. As they complete their work, there's a very definite reality the object form had a designer. You know what? Our world radiates with the knowledge of a master artist. In Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Have you ever gone to a mountaintop and you looked out and you're just gorgeous beauty? Or a sunset here in Manitoba as you look up in the night sky and just gorgeous colors? There's, an, there's a designer. It's not random. A businessman once gave the reasons why he knew there was a God. He had been earnestly considering the wonders of the stars and planets, their system and order. Then he said, it takes a girl in our factory about two days to learn to put the 17 parts of a meat chopper together. Some may believe that these millions of worlds, each with its separate orbit, all balance so wonderfully in space that they just happen that by a billion years of tumbling about, they finally arrange themselves. He says, I am merely a plain manufacturer of cutlery. But this I do know, that you can shake the 17 parts of a meat chopper around in a wash tub for the next 17 billion years and you'll never make a meat chopper. 17 parts, shake them about. You're not going to get them to all come together. Perfect unison to make a meat chopper. And you know what God does? We find a design. You say, that's just from the Bible. But ultimately, your worldview starts somewhere. How you live your life, it is based upon the foundation that you have in your life. Where is your foundation? Where is your beginning for why we are the way we are in life? In Revelation 1.19, God puts his imprint, much like a painter would put their, their, paint, their, their name on their, on their artwork, uh, or a sculptor put their name on it, or something there to notify God does the same. In Revelation 1.19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God has created within human beings a conscience. Romans 2.15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts and meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. God puts a conscience within every human being. 
And to make this design perfect and without flaw, what does he do? God creates the first man and woman in his own image. Remember, God is perfect. And you and I, as now obviously we're flawed, we're sinners. But the pinnacle of God's creation is he takes man and woman to be in fellowship with himself and he creates them in his own image. The qualitative analysis or the summary statement of God's, you know, you look at a painting, you might like, wow, it's a beautiful painting. But you know what? The painter of that painting might say, yeah, it's a pretty painting, but here's a little flaw here, and here's a little, you know, as you work on something a long time, you notice little flaws. You're like, ah, I hope no one notices, and everyone looks at it, wow, it's a beautiful piece, and you're like, yeah, there's a few flaws in there. But you know what God's assessment of his work was in Genesis 1.31? And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. My friend, the reason for our life is God. He created us. And he wanted to create it to perfection, and he did so in his own image. That painting, what is the responsibility of that painting? It is showing, I mean, it's, it's displaying beauty, but it's also displaying the work of the artist, the artist's skills. Now, to every work of art, every baked item, everything that you work and craft with your own hands, any creation, invention, art piece, It contains inherent and intrinsic boundaries. As soon as the paint touches that canvas, it's no longer clear. There's an intention. As soon as I put that paintbrush with the paint onto that canvas, I'm changing it. I'm putting a design into it. I'm putting an intention to it. Once the material for an invention is altered to conform to the designer's plans, These changes create boundaries. And God created boundaries. In Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. You know there's boundaries with light. If there's a place where light isn't, then there's darkness. There's shadows. Light and dark. There's boundaries. Light doesn't bend around. I mean, simplistically, light doesn't bend around things. Now, in this verse, there was one commentary on this. It was Jehovah God who made day and night. He is the creator of all. Moreover, it is he who makes peace and evil. Now, the latter word, evil, ra, in Hebrew, can refer to trouble and adversity as well as to moral wrong. God is never the author of that which is morally, morally evil. However, it remains his prerogative to bring trouble as he so chooses. All things are in his power. So God can allow trouble into life. And we would understand, like, a quick story of God allowing trouble is that the troubled sea that Jonah was on, why? To get Jonah to go do what God wanted him to do. So God creates the bounds of visible light to be a small part. You and I can see light here in the room. I'm thankful for light. But in the whole electromagnetic spectrum, it's only a very, 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 very minuscule amount that we can actually see and observe with our own eyes. There's bounds to it. 
what I can see, what you can see. Now, there are things beyond our eyes, like microwaves, radio waves, and other things. These very elements are unknown before the Lord created it. You go back to the beginning, you have to conclude there is a, be- there is a reason for all of this. Matter does not spontaneously exist apart from an outside source of energy. Now, you do have within the ecosystem of energy, you have the first law of thermodynamics, that energy can be neither created nor destroyed. Am I correct on that? <laughs> All right. And it can, you know, it can be changed. Like I take a log of wood, I add some heat to it, poof, it starts on fire. And that log, when the fire is done, so I get heat, I get light, and I get charcoal. <laughs> or I get dust at the end at the end of that reaction. Now, all that energy, I take the heat and the light and the charcoal, and you put it all together, and all that energy should add up the same as the log. But there's still limits to all of this. All of this energy comes from God who resides without time, without limit. Now, why am I going to all of this? There's boundaries that are inherent in physics and in science. There's boundaries that God has created for you and I, number one, to reflect His glory, but also for our protection. The bounds of the elements of earth are not stifling and enslaving. You might say, I want freedom. I don't like gravity, so I'm going to jump off this building. Oh, I don't believe in gravity. Okay, you may not believe in it, but it's still there. There's a boundary. I mean, if you want to go flying... You're not going to jump out of a plane without a parachute with the intention to live at the end. There's a boundary. The ingredients you put into a a cake, there's boundaries. A flour is not going to sweeten the cake. I mean, you can add a whole lot of flour, but it's not going to sweeten it like sugar will. And sugar is not going to do the same thing as, as flowers. There's certain inherent properties of it. There are boundaries that are intrinsic in, in nature, in life. And do you realize that God would make boundaries for man, humanity on this earth? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. I know I'm kind of elaborating on quite a bit here, but I just want you to think about this. That God gave us, he made us in his image in perfection. Now obviously sin came in and man defiled that. But there's boundaries, and even with that idea of sin, there's a boundary. Don't do this or else, right? There's consequences. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, What are some things that God gave them to do? Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Now this is before they would enjoy animals. Now God would give to Noah the fact that they could eat animals. But God gave them what they were to do. Have dominion over the earth. That's a pretty great responsibility. We have an obligation to multiply as humans and to rule over the earth and be a good steward of its resources. Those are boundaries that God created. 
In Psalm 8, verse 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Verse 5 and 6, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. God has given to humanity the responsibility, the accountability to take dominion over this world. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God gives purpose to our lives. There are some boundaries. Now, you would find that here in Scripture as well, but Genesis chapter 2. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, look with me here. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. What is he to do? He's to prepare the fields for harvest. He's to protect it. He has a commission. He has a job to do. Like you and I have a job to do. God didn't just say, you're in the Garden of Eden, the most perfect place. Just sit around and do absolutely nothing. (laughs) Sometimes we would like that. But he says, no, I've got a job for you to do. I've given you purpose. He created us in perfection, but he created us for a purpose of working. But he sees every part of you, and he knows of your weaknesses and your strengths. Look at me at Psalm 139, 14. Do you think that God knew what Adam could do? Do you think he knew of Adam's limitations? How about Eve's limitations? Do you think he knew about that? And theologically, you say, well, of course he knew about that. Now I want to ask you the question, do you think God knows about your limitations? Yeah, he does. But does God still have a purpose for your life? A designer always has a purpose for why they create. In Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. The designer, the creator, who has a purpose for why they do what they do. He has a purpose for my life. He's put within me the imprint created by God, the conscience of man. He's bestowed a responsibility upon my life. You want to know something also that God did? Genesis 2.20, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help meat for him. Adam was given the intellectual responsibility, the intellect and the responsibility to name every animal. So God told him to do it. He did it because God gave him the intellect to do it. Here's the thing. God's given you the tools and the skills necessary to accomplish what he gave you to do in this world. A particular painting Back when I was in engineering, we did a design project. We did this design. We went through the several iterations. At the end of the day, it did what we wanted it to do. Sometimes not as best, not as all the time, because circuits don't always work. But it did what we wanted it to do. It set out for a purpose. And you know what? Let's look at me at Acts 17, 24 through 26. 
So does these, do these boundaries that God has given, I don't have the same abilities as you do, you don't have the same abilities as I do. But does that mean we're any less important in, in the grand scheme of design? The answer is no. Because a painter who creates one painting and another painting, they're not the same. They're different, but they're still important. They're still beautiful. If the painter's any good, right? Yeah, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But Acts 17, 24 through 26. The Apostle Paul, here on Mars Hill. Pages are sticking together here. Acts 17, 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men. So every human being is made of one blood. We're all humans. For to dwell on all the face of the earth, and have determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. What is it? We're bounded to live on earth. We're bounded by gravity. We're limited the fact that I need air, and I need water, and I need food. And so do you. God established bounds. People cry, I want freedom to do as I want. But they fail to realize that Boundaries are not inherently a bad thing. The boundaries are only so bad as from the source that they are given. So the question is, who is the authority making these bounds, making these limitations? The character of the individual, the author, the creator, whomever, that sets the bounds determines the conditions of these settings. So the very reason of our existence here in Acts 17, let's look at me here. He's giving us the Creator's intention, verse verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after Him and find Him though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He is the very reason for our existence. That painting, that design, that sculpture, its purpose is to showcase the work of the master craftsman. And I am to show forth the work of the master craftsman. Now, granted, as we get older, our body and our bones, and they start to hurt more, and we feel the pain, and we're like, "Uh, (laughs) someday I'm looking forward to, you know, when I'll fully be made whole and, and new. God sets some boundaries. He says, in me you live and move and have your being. You find your purpose, just like a sculpture does, in showcasing the work of the sculptor. In Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You go outside, love is a choice. And I have a choice to show of the imprint of God on my life. 
And he gives us the, and then God would also give us the privilege of human companionship. That God would make Eve for Adam a help meet for him, a help sufficient, befitting of him. But in all of this, in the purpose of what God's design is, I can easily lose my purpose for life. 1 Corinthians 1.31, that according as is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. As I said, a painting, a sculpture, an invention, it showcases the work of an inventor. And I elaborated on all these boundaries and the intentions of a baker, an artist, etc., because a designer demands a purpose for the design and some limitations on their creation. The challenge we are seeing in our modern era is a people, even professing believers, who fail to realize our purpose and our authority. For many, the knowledge of God is faint or lacking. In Psalm 139, 17, How precious also are thy, God's thoughts, unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 16, the cry of our world today, Isaiah 29, 16, very, I think the cry of today would resemble the cry there in Isaiah's day. Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? Many cry that, now, the Bible has changed. God doesn't understand the 21st century. God doesn't understand my limitations. He doesn't realize my obligations. My situation's exclusive. My situation is different. As I said, you're created in his image. He understands all about you. So what it ultimately gets down to is Isaiah 45, 18. Look with me here in Isaiah 45. My last few verses before I come to the conclusion. Isaiah 45, verse 18. There's a couple verses here. A few verses. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. I'm like, he didn't create the world for nothing. He didn't create it just for like, you know, grins and giggles. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. As I said, a masterpiece speaks of a master, of a skilled craftsman. You think about the anatomy of a human, the eye, the blood, the cells, that all, it is an unbelievable masterpiece that makes your body. And all of it is to reflect back that there was a designer, there was a creator. And that I am accountable to him. That I am accountable to bring him glory. Now, in conclusion, this is a part of a series with my intention is that we would understand of our obligation to God a masterpiece speaks of a designer, an artist, an inventor. It tells us of something with a purpose to be used and adored by others. 
The design is beholden or accountable to its designer. There's an ownership. There's a reflection of the master through the masterpiece. The origins of design. A painting, as I said. I'm just rehashing some of the reviewing here. A painting is meant to be seen by others. An invention is meant to help someone or something operate more effectively. Everything man designs, crafts, creates, has a maker, has a value of quality, has limitations on functionality and on purpose. But it doesn't diminish its worth, especially to the creator, nor does it lessen the purpose of these. And God, in like manner, created you and I with the quality of Adam and Eve, the original intention of very good. For the purpose for work and a relationship with himself. But the work accomplished is to be according to the master's original intention. Here's a few questions I want to ask you this morning. Are you living with an eye on the master's plan for your life? Do you seek to know what is the master's desire, what the master's desire is for your life? Where do you get your value for life? We know that we are to work, but do we know what God's plan is for my life to work? Are you accomplishing the plans that he has made special for you? Are you seeking to know what is the creator's purpose and mission for your life? One gentleman, Curtis Jones, says, Don't ask God why. One mark of spiritual maturity is the confident acceptance that God is in control without understanding the whys and whens of happenings. As I said in Isaiah, if you're still there in Isaiah 45, look with me at verse 9, the last verse for this morning. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou, or thy work? He hath no hands. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever worked with clay, or even on a potter's wheel. And you're trying to push the clay. And then the clay begins to say, What are you doing? What are you making me into? No. The clay is beholden to whatever the potter wants to do with it. And he's given the analogy that so many times God is trying to form me into something in my life. He wants a purpose. He has something that the master, creator, inventor, sculptor, craftsman wants to do in my life. But many times I say, what are you doing in my life? Because I don't understand the foundation of where I come from. I don't understand. I don't recognize. I don't put into my mind the fact that I have, there's an intention God has for my life and yours. A final illustration. For years, Leo Tolstoy searched for answers to the question, what's the purpose of life? He addressed it to many of his contemporaries. No one gave him a satisfactory answer. Then one day he met a peasant friend who, upon listening to the well-worn query, immediately replied, to serve God. Whereupon the Russian literary genius declared it to be the highest wisdom he had ever encountered. End quotes. We must stop resisting the one who created us, formed us, and knows all about us. It is time that people arise to the grandeur of the heavenly plan for your life and mine. And over the next weeks, I'll be discussing this plan. It is a royal plan with pleasant and eternal significance. Final statement. Be all that the Lord made you to be and embrace God's plan for your life. The forgotten creator. We have to understand that I'm created by God for a purpose. And there's something grand he wants to do with my life and yours.
And rather than serving my life my way, it's incumbent upon us to figure out what the Creator wants to do in my life and yours. As we come to the time of invitation, if I could have Miss Pat come forward, we'll have the piano play. I just want to challenge you this morning. What is God's plan for your life? Are you doing what God has planned for your life? Are you working? Are you fulfilling? Are you bringing glory to the great sculptor? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I trust that you'd just talk with God, however he may have spoken to you during this time. Just time to pray and talk with him. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Creator, as Colossians 3 tells us about Jesus as the Creator, he died on that cross, shed his blood for you and I, so he could have a relationship with us. Sin separates, but Christ unifies. And I trust this morning that we would just get back to the plan. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I know I didn't speak about it this morning, but the truth is that Jesus died on that cross and rose again because sin separated me, creates conflict in that original intention. God wants to bridge that gap so I can be in fellowship with him again. So in simple faith in Jesus Christ, I call out to ask Him to forgive me my sins and be my Savior. And you can be gloriously saved, be a child of His. And Christian, the forgotten Creator, who is in control of your life? Are you reflecting the glory of the Master Sculptor of your life? Music will come to a close here shortly. Really think about where is your life directed? Where's your life going? Where's the purpose for your life? And as a Christian, our worldview starts with in the beginning God. And He is the authority that I'm accountable to because He is the craftsman. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we go out, Father, we would search the Scriptures. Lord, to learn how to live and move in you. How to reflect your glory to a world that cries out, I am my own man. Father, I pray that you would help us as believers to be the witnesses that we need to be of a God of all who loves humanity and earnestly desires for them to come unto himself. Lord, if anyone's struggling this morning, Lord, I pray this message would encourage their hearts. Jesus, I love you and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.